Well, hey, welcome. Uh, we're here in uh, episode two of Living Room Liturgy. I'm joined by a friend, Mark Turnage, and we're so glad you're listening. If you haven't got a chance yet to hear our first episode with Winfield Bevins, we'd love for you to go back and listen to that. Um, because really what this podcast is all about is, um, it, we call it Living Room Liturgy. It's about worshiping God at home. How to, how to make, um, especially in this time right now, a global pandemic, when many of us are stuck at home and figuring out, uh, so how do we do this thing called church on our own? Or how do we do it away from our buildings? How do we do it with our own families? And, uh, and I'm excited to be interviewing today um, one of my favorite people and a guy who's really made an impact in my life. I'd love to introduce you to Mark Turnage. Uh, if you've never got a chance to meet Mark or see what he's about, let me just get a little bit of his bio here. Um, he's actually finishing up his PhD right now in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So, I mean, he is an authoritative source when we talk about uh, scripture. He's the author of an incredible book called Windows into the Bible. It's cultural and historical insights from the Bible for modern readers. Uh, and then also he's one of the teaching pastors at New Life Church in Conway, Arkansas. And he's the founder and CEO of Biblical Expeditions, which takes groups uh, from all over the world, really, to see uh, the sites of uh, Israel and beyond. And so welcome, Mark. We're so glad you're here with us today. Thanks, Rustic, for having me. And I, I tell you, um, you know, just a funny story before we get started. We're going to talk about some pretty serious stuff today. But uh, I got to be part of um, a biblical expeditions trip with Mark, and he was kind of our master teacher. He brought us one day up to uh, the top of uh, what very likely could have been Mount Carmel, the very place that Elijah uh, had his, his showdown with the prophets of Baal. And we're at this, this overlook looking out over, uh, man, as far as the eye can see in every direction. And he points out over here, off in the distance, you will notice indoor. And as we all know, indoor is the home of who? And he stops and our whole group was silent. And I said, oh, the Ewoks, indoor. <laughs> and so I came through with a Star Wars reference. And in that moment, I realized just how differently Mark and my brain truly worked and the amount of biblical education that we both had behind us. So I'm glad you're here today as the authoritative source, Mark, and I'm here today as the interviewer. <laughs> You'll never forget that moment, will you? No. Well, hey, you've recently started a podcast. Uh, I'd love to hear more about that. Maybe tell everybody who's listening about your new podcast you've just launched. So the podcast is called Windows into the Bible, and the idea of that is actually fueled by the book that I wrote. And the whole purpose of the podcast is to help people understand the contextual world of the Bible, because oftentimes when, when we go to read the Bible, we're, we find ourselves confused. Um, we're struggling to find relevance in a lot of passages of the scripture where we feel like we're missing out on something that the authors intended us to get. And frankly, we would like to be more confident in our ability to understand and interpret the scripture because, you know, we're, we're often told, well, just read the Bible. And we think that that's the solution for our confusion, frustration, and discouragement. 
but in reality, that just adds to it. And so the Windows into the Bible podcast is about reading the words of the Bible within the world of the Bible. And so by marrying text with context, that's how we're able to grow in our understanding of reading the scripture. And so that's what we're about. We're looking at different contexts, I should say different contexts and contextual frameworks of the world of the Bible and learning how to frankly ask ancient questions of the Bible so that we can have modern relevance in our understanding of it today. Wow, that's so good. And I think, I think so much of that is, um, is, is important, maybe even mission critical right now to the average churchgoer who does, he, maybe they, I think they have good intentions. They want to read the Bible. They aspire to know more about it and about God who's revealed in it. And yet oftentimes they're scratching their heads and saying, how do I read this through this ancient library of right. scripture? And I don't know the people or places, or uh, I just don't, I don't get it. And so oftentimes they'll drift towards more towards um, just the highlights of the narrative of the story, mm -hmm. or they'll, you know, maybe uh, uh, some of Paul's letters that feel more instructive. And so that stuff can be easier to grasp than, um, than some of the things that you taught us about. Uh, and we'll get into that in, in a little bit. Uh, but for, so your podcast, obviously, there's a lot of intermarrying of, of your material from your book, Windows into the Bible. Um, and so I'd love, I'd love for it if you to take a few minutes and tell us what are those, those windows, because I've, I've heard you allude to it a little bit already, but there's some very specific lenses that can help us understand scripture as we open it in our homes. What are those lenses? Well, let me even just take a step back and kind of answer that question within a response to, you know, what you were just saying that one of, I, I, you hear pastors and people affiliated with church leadership oftentimes talking about the illiteracy or the growing illiteracy of the Bible, but within people that go to church. And in, in, in 2017, Lifeway Publishers did a study that says that Americans are fond of the Bible, they just don't read it. Mm. And the reality is, and, 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 and I'm sure some of your listener, listeners have had this experience before, so go with me with this. It's the beginning of the year, New Year's resolution time, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. So you charge into Genesis, right? You know, there's creation, six days, Noah and his boat and the flood and the animals. You've got Abraham. He tries to kill his son, but God saves him. We've got Jacob and his sons. You know, Joseph begins in the pit, not so awesome, ends up in the palace. Okay, we're cool. Roll into Exodus. We got plagues, death, blood, famine, pestilence, the parting of the seas, you know, Charlton Heston or Moses, you know, bringing the the tablets down from Sinai. And then all of a sudden we run into the end of Exodus and it's like the tabernacle and it's curtains and it's vessels and it's dimensions. And we're kind of like, huh? Measure. How does, how, oh, yeah. how does this <laughs> exactly, how does this impact my spiritual life today? Well, then we, we get into Leviticus, right? And that's where every annual Bible reading plan goes to die. Right. About March. Yeah. <laughs> and we're done. This time of year. It yes. Just love it. <laughs> and then, you know, those that, because they're going to persevere, that haven't fallen away yet, then they, then they stumble into numbers and numbers just cleans them out, right? 
Yeah. And they're frustrated. And the, the problem is reading the Bible doesn't just solve our lack of understanding it because the Bible is the product of its world. And the Bible is God's revelation in time, in space, and in culture. Mm. And the Bible assumes our familiarity with those features. And so reading biblical literacy, reading the Bible with understanding is not solved by just doing it more, but it's actually the marriage of text and context. And that's where the windows into the Bible come in. And I speak about four windows into the Bible and really their frameworks for understanding the cultural world and context of the Bible. And the four frameworks are these. Number one, it's spatial. The Bible is God's revelation in space. And the space of scripture is as much a character in the Bible as Abraham and David or Peter and Paul. But it's more than just a, a a location on a map or a roadway or bodies of water or hills or valley. It's about climate. It's about flora and fauna. It's about geology. The Bible uses all of those things to speak about its message, God, his interaction with us, how he expects us to interact with him. That becomes the not only the stage when where scripture plays out, but the metaphor. The second window I speak about is historical. Now, the Bible itself is not a history book per se, just like it's not a geography book, but it contains history. Mm. And one of the problems sometimes when we approach reading the Bible, we sit down, Genesis to Revelation, and we read it, try and read it as one book, not realizing that there are hundreds and thousands of years between Let's for say example, there's 2,000 years between Abraham and Jesus. There's 1,000 years between David and Jesus. Now, I'm not going to get to know anybody in the modern world by studying somebody that lived 1,000 years ago. So history impacts the progression of the biblical story. I mean, it's like Dylan says, the times they are a-changing, right? Mm-hmm. So... When we look at this, it's important that we take into consideration these historical events and these historical processes. I think one of the greatest places we see this is between, you know, the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, and the New Testament, right? There's roughly, what, 400, 450 years of history. And in that 400, 450 years of history, a lot happens. We, in the Old Testament, the people have returned to Judah. But Persia is the empire in control. We open the New Testament. It's the Romans. They never tell us how the Romans get there. And oh, by the way, there were the Greeks in between the Persians and the Romans. And it never tells us. But yet the New Testament world grows out of what historically has happened there. The third lens is going to, or third window is going to be cultural. And the Bible reflects its cultural world. It does it through its language. It does it through idioms, it does it through images, it does it through its institutions. And that cultural world is different than yours and mine. And what happens is we as modern readers, oftentimes we will bring our cultural baggage to reading the Bible, asking even questions regarding to our culture first, before understanding the Bible and its culture. 
And that becomes a problem when we come to the issues of interpretation and, and, and things like this. And, and let's be honest, I mean, you know this probably better than I do even as a pastor. When we start getting into the weeds of reading the Bible, the Bible doesn't always behave the way we want it to. It can be a little bit messy. And um, so sensitizing ourselves to that cultural reality. And then the finally and the fourth window is spiritual. The Bible is a spiritual work that reflects a spiritual worldview. And that's actually the one that's oftentimes the most challenging for us as modern readers because we're approaching the Bible from our spiritual vantage point. And so, again, when we get into the, the dimensions of the tabernacle or the sacrificial system uh, articulated in Leviticus or something like that and all the genocide, right? You know, that's a big question people struggle with today. We're approaching the Bible from our spiritual framework instead of understanding it from its own first. And so those are the, the context. Now, you know, the $20 million question to that is, okay, so how do we gain access to those things? And, and for that, not only do we have to read the Bible, but we have to begin to um, make ourselves aware of the world around the Bible, outside the Bible, the physical world, the historical world, the cultural and the spiritual worlds of the Bible. And once we understand those contexts, then when we read the words of the Bible within the world of the Bible, then we can read it with understanding, answering what did it mean so that I can better understand what does it mean for me today? You know, after hearing, I've heard you share about these windows before. Every time I hear you, um, explain them. Uh, I, 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 I come to a crossroads. One is, should I just give up? What hope is there? I'll never understand it. But the other is, oh, there is a way. Okay. Mm -hmm. What, from what Mark's saying is like, I can do some of this stuff at home. I can increase my comprehension. I can increase. And so like, if we're talking about, let's say the average person who might listen to us talking today is is not a bible scholar maybe right. a not academic how can they begin to implement this stuff at home on their own time uh and and further their understanding of god's word it's a great question and it's one of the real disconnects oftentimes in the materials and resources that are out there um not to try and sound self-serving, but that's the reason I wrote the windows into the Bible book. Right. Because each chapter is intended to be a little bit of a case study of how you apply these four contextual frameworks to your reading of the Bible. Um, the We're standing at a very unique age in the history of the church. We have more information available to us today through the internet than at any time in human history. The person sitting in their living room at home has more access to more information about the world of the Bible than the medieval monks who were copying the manuscripts of the Bible. Wow. And so it's learning, first of all, what, what are the sources of knowledge that are out there and then beginning to understand how do you apply those in a responsible way 
to reading the Bible. Um, one of the things that we're, we're getting ready to launch is an online learning platform called Windows into the Bible University that is to this very thing of taking people from the very first course being what is the Bible? I mean, how often do we just get asked that, you know, very simple question, what is the Bible? How do we get it? How is it organized? How do we begin to think about it, study it, read it? You know, how do we read narrative different than poetry? Those kinds of things all the way through to become a more confident interpreter and reader of the scripture within its contextual world. But it's not about churning out scholars. This is not rocket science. Really, reading the Bible just requires a lot of common sense. And that common sense, though, is learning to ask ancient questions of the Bible. The, the interpretive process is real simple. Ask ancient questions to answer what did the Bible mean, okay? Then you can ask, what does it mean for me today? Wow. And, okay. and the material's out there. Will you say it's, that one more time, Mark? That's so good. <laughs> the, it's... it's usually we approach the Bible asking, what does it mean to me? What is God speaking to me? And that's right. not, that's not wrong. But if we want to know what the Bible says, we need to first ask, learn how to ask the ancient questions of what did the Bible mean? Wow. And then once we answer that, we can say, what does it mean for me today? Mm. And that's when all of a sudden those passages in Leviticus that you either ignore or that you just get bored with and fall asleep while you're trying to read your Bible and you feel guilty about it, all of a sudden they have, you go, wow. Even though I, I, I'm not going to a temple or a tabernacle and making animal sacrifices, I can understand how by recognizing that in its world, it has implication for how I serve God and love God and obey God today. Am I? Yeah. That's really good. And one of the best things about Leviticus, too, is you can find some really crude and absurd things to text your friends. <laughs> then put a scriptural reference on it. I won't tell you what those passages are. If you're out there listening, you're going to have to look it up for yourself. Um, but it's there's some wild stuff hidden sure is. in scripture um, that we certainly need to learn how to ask questions of, um, because some of them, are, they'll, they're, they'll shock you, uh, to say the least. Hey, would you, um, I, thank you for repeating that. It's so good. I just think we needed to hear that twice about asking questions. And let me ask you this. Would you mind, could we maybe unpack two of these windows? One would be, um, I guess it would be the cultural window. I, I, because um, kind of the focus of this podcast is worshiping God at home. Would you, would you share a little bit about what the home or family structure of the New Testament world was like, uh, if maybe that would even help us to get a glimpse through one of those windows. Absolutely. I think one of the most important things culturally that we need to understand when we come to reading the Bible is it's definitely very different from our modern Western culture today. And that is in the Bible, the we is always more important than the me. We approach 
our spirituality, our culture with ourselves at the center of that very individualized. Think about how we process our faith, what God has done for me, what God, even our appeals to people is what God has done for you. And it's, it's very egocentric because that's how we, we think a lot about ourselves. We, we individualize our entire existence and our politics and everything around how it affects me. Yeah. The world of the Bible is the we. Yeah, I was going to say, even so much as to call Jesus at times our personal Savior. You exactly. Know, the that I grew up with was very individualistic. Um, it was about you make a decision to determine your eternity mm-hmm. and have this privatization of Jesus. Um, sorry to interrupt. I just no, no, no. That's you're 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 a thousand percent right, and we do this on so many different levels. Now, I will say that the world of the Old Testament was even more so the we. And one of the things that begins to happen beginning in the fourth and third centuries BC, even with the, this emerges also within Greek culture, is the, the, the beginning growth of, of an individual concept. But still, by the time we're in the New Testament, everything is very much collective. There is still this very much, and the family set at the center of that. And when we talk about what went on, the within the world of ancient Judaism, which is the cultural and spiritual world of Jesus in the New Testament, the center of biblical education was the home. A father was responsible not only to teach his son a trade, but to teach him Torah. Um, you learned the the rules, how you practiced your faith in the home. Now, that doesn't mean that you didn't go to the temple in Jerusalem, but if you lived, like, say, in the Galilee where Jesus is and and most of his followers, you may only do that once, twice a year, and that's still a lot. Many people maybe only did it once in their life. You say, well, okay, so on the Sabbath, Friday evening, Saturday to Saturday night, you're going to go to the synagogue. You know, and that's in the synagogue in the land of Israel in the first century was a place where you read the scriptures and you, you taught on the scriptures. But where your life of faith was, the, the, the foundation for that was the home, which actually is still the case in religious Jewish homes. That's where you learn. That's where you celebrate. That's where you practice your faith in a day, in, in, on a day-to-day basis. And in the land of Israel in the first century, the two primary places of prayer were the home and the temple in Jerusalem. And so the home was actually the center, the heart of biblical education and learning how to live out your faith. And one of the the things that you know I think we've done within western Christianity today is we've tried to move that to the church itself. The the physical building or the programs that we do at the church and I'm not disparaging any of that, but if you look at it from a number standpoint, we're stupid because we're fighting a losing battle. Wow. 
the reality is our families think of us as ourselves as mothers and fathers, our kids. Even if we're in church, every time the church doors are open and there's something for us to participate in, we spend more time um, at home, at our jobs, at school, than we ever will in a year being at the church every time the doors are open. And how many people, Rusty, do you know that are there literally, you know, at everything? Yeah. And we think that we're going to be able to obey Jesus's commandments of loving God and loving neighbor by, you know, relegating our spiritual development to these few hours a week when we're able to be in, be in church. And truthfully, I think one of the great things, one of the great opportunities that this, you know, pandemic has presented for us is to force us back to our homes, living around people with having and having limited mobility, but it requires us to start to dig in and, and, and take some responsibility back for certain things in our lives, including our own growth and spiritual development. Because it's got to begin with me. I can't look at you as my pastor and go, okay, Rusty, you've got you've to gotta grow me spiritually. Or you've got to grow my kids spiritually. No, that's on me. I, I put people around like my pastors and, my, and my, my church community to help kind of keep everything moving in the right direction. But I think we can learn a lot from it. Now, again, it's a different world. The world of the New Testament is a different world than ours. But I think it has pro, there are some real interesting questions that once we understand culturally, the role of the family in the house within the world of the Bible, it should maybe make us more intentional about things that we're doing as a family in, a, in the house. And think of, I, I would say it like this, because we're talking about reading the Bible, right? And, and, and reading the Bible with understanding. Parents, if, if we're not modeling to our kids a hunger to learn how to read the Bible and to understand the Bible better so that it can impact our lives, how can we expect our kids ever to grab hold of that? Mm. Wow. Wow. Mark, every, everything you just shared, I think, is um, for some people that are listening today, I, I think it's going to be the beginning of a journey for them to reclaim uh, their home as, as an extension of the church or even a vital piece of um, being the church and, and their, their Christian life, their pursuit of Jesus. Um, and, and, I, and, and you and I both have a deep love for the church and Absolutely. attend it weekly, regularly. And yet, um, so, so don't miss here what we're talking about today. We're not saying don't go to church anymore. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, like that maybe the best stuff happens at home and that church is part of the overflow right. of our lives together that we go and, and kind of externalize and share together and celebrate what God's doing in our homes, come alongside. And, and mo you know, most churches at this point, they put a high value on small groups and I think that that is also a piece of, you know, church in the home. 
Right. Being, you know, kind of, is there anything you'd want to share about um, like shared households or oikos or any of those kind of like house to house, uh, life to life? Again, within the world of the first century, you, you, the, the ancient world, you may go off into, let's say, the desert for a period of time to have a, a, a moment with God. But in general, the way that you experience your faith is in the community. Um, it's, it's going to the synagogue. It's traveling on pilgrimage. In you know, I mean, just look at, for example, in Luke chapter two, we have the story of when Jesus is 12 years old, his family going to Jerusalem for Passover. And, and Luke tells us that this was their annual practice, right? What does that mean? I mean, we know because of the, the sacrifice that Joseph and Mary bring for the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter two, that they're poor people, but every year, they made the multi-day journey to go to Jerusalem for Passover. And then of course we, you know, we, we have them heading home and after a day's journey, they're trying to find Jesus. And I remember reading that as a kid thinking, man, they're irresponsible parents. But then you start realizing that it wasn't just Joseph and Mary and Jesus and the family donkey or something like this. It was, they were traveling as a community. It would have been a number of people probably from Nazareth. They would have probably joined other communities coming from the Galilee, heading to Jerusalem. Because you, you experience God. You worship God. You even, even within the Bible, and I know we use the term religion today in a, in, in a negative way oftentimes, especially within the Western world. And, but religion in the Bible is more about practice than it is pure belief. I mean, there's, there's a few central beliefs, right? Like there's one God and he's the creator of everything and he gets to call the shots in the universe, right? But other than that, the Bible's a lot about how do I practically live out? But I, that practice, I can't, I can't live out the faith of the Bible in isolation and alone. I do it with how I interact with my family. I do it with how I interact with my neighbors, right? You know, what is it Jesus tells us that how we love God with all our heart, soul, and strength is by loving our neighbor who is like ourselves. So I, I live out, I walk out my faith and how I interact with others. And as anyone can tell you, and as you know, Sometimes the the hardest people to walk that out with are the people you're doing life with a lot, like your family. Yeah. Oh, it's the hardest place to have, uh, yeah. you know, the fruit of the spirit. Just roll down that list. Kindness, patience, gentleness is, yep. oh, traffic <laughs> in your home are the two places you will be <laughs> what's really in your heart. And, and it'll come out. Um but hey, you so Mark, you you actually brought up um, the term pilgrimage as part of spiritual mm -hmm. practice, and I would be remiss not to ask you about that. Um, I I was so fortunate enough to get to travel for ten days with you throughout 
Israel uh, and, and even over into the West Bank and, and different areas uh, in the Middle East together. Should all Christians try to visit Israel or, or are those terms synonymous when we say um, biblical expeditions are going, you know, what so many people might even think a Holy Land tour uh, mm-hmm. or, or a tra- traveling and then the biblical concept of pilgrimage, are those connected? Is there a way for us to do that in, in modern times? I, I, I think there is. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of tours that go to the lands of the Bible, and even you hear of Holy Land tours and pilgrimage tours and things like that. For me, traveling to the lands of the Bible um, should provide us tools to become better readers of scripture Mm. to understand the bible better and the reality is unfortunately is a lot of travel experiences even what are called christian pilgrimages are just showing sites many of them inaccurate but they but but for me the possibility if 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 it's the right program, the you know the right so to say guide and so forth, you're taking people into the three dimensional world of the Bible, and all of these windows that I just spoke about, you see them in a three dimensional reality. So the physical space of the Bible becomes a doorway for you to begin to understand better the contextual world and. I oftentimes, I've been leading trips for over 23 years now, and you will hear pastors and others who have gone through Bible college or Christian college or through seminary say, I learn more about the contextual world and about the Bible, frankly, in a 10-day trip. And I think that's be, than I did in my in a year of seminary or something like that. And I that's not to put those experiences down. It's just simply to say that when you are surrounded in a three-dimensional way, that the travel becomes catalytic in order to help you better understand the contextual world of the Bible and how to apply that contextual world to your reading of the Bible. And as such, I, I absolutely think that it is great for Christians to do it with the outcome, I would say with the twofold outcome of learning how to read the Bible better, becoming more confident in that, and ultimately making us better disciples, because that's what reading the Bible is all about at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, it traveling, traveling to Israel, um, was was a uh, I heard you know Greg Surratt uh, our pastor he always calls it it's it's the trip of a lifetime, and um, I heard him say that and I I I think at first the first few times I heard him say it I almost like kind of winced and like okay yeah 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 but like really being there walking the touching the soil entering into the Jordan mm-hmm. River um, I made it a multi-sensory experience. I did things that others in our group weren't willing to do. I mean, I, I like tasted some of the fauna. I remember getting down on my face and <laughs> like, it was like, I was, I was just laying down on these, this, uh, the South gate of, uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, of the, uh, J- Jerusalem where they, you know, where you were teaching that Jesus would have 
walked and entered into the city. I mean, I just laid down and just kissed it. And I, I didn't know how to respond. And I, I did not premeditate those actions. I didn't go in to that trip thinking I'm going to cause a scene. I'm going to be as weird as possible. And I'm just going to like, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be freak people out and do weird things. Like <laughs> it was, you're so overcome. And, and the, mm -hmm. what you learn there, it, it gets in you to a point where you're looking to immerse yourself even further into right. the text of scripture to where you find yourself like uh, one of your, one of your guides, Alan, he said, you know, this type of plant here, this probably would have been the kind of th potentially the kind of thorns that they would have fashioned the crown of thorns for Jesus out of like, this is, this is one of our most predominant plants in this region. And, and so like, I took it and like, what else was I going to do? I just went, I stabbed it into my hand and thought that really hurt. That was really <laughs> dumb. Why did I do that? And it was just because I wanted to experience if I could even right. on a small level experience the very thing that Jesus experienced, the immersive, uh, the, the, the teaching suddenly became a life-changing moment to where every every right. rock tells a story every every tree i mean it just it was so incredible to be there with you uh and to and really what i think was um the most spiritual experience of my life uh and where you gave us moments to kind of wander off um and do some of that stuff was some of my favorite times mm -hmm. uh overlooking the um the valley which valley was that where uh, Solomon prayed for wisdom and it was overlooking down into the, I just remember laying on my Gibeon. Face, the Gibeon and just crying. I, and I didn't even know, I'm like, why am I crying? I don't, I, it, it was just like this overwhelming uh, moment. Anyway, so that's enough. Uh, and I, last question for you, Mark. I, I, I know I'm just kind of, I'm going to start crying. This won't go well for me. Uh, but is there <laughs> You get asked questions all the time as a teacher, as a pastor, as a, as a guide, as a pilgrim. Are there any questions that you have just always wished somebody would ask you? Is there anything that you've like, nobody's ever really talked to me about this and this is really significant and they just don't know what they don't know. They don't know to ask these things. Um, I don't know that there's any one question that I can pinpoint and say, man, I really wish somebody would have asked that. I, part of that is because I myself am still full of questions. And so, um, but the question I wish that I received the most that I don't, unfortunately, in fact, I rarely do, is how, how do I do this? How do I go about um, I, I think that we oftentimes, and we've conditioned ourselves within religious communities to be the recipients of information. And so we, we have, whether it's pastors or teachers or whomever that stand in front of us and they, they, they give out and we receive and we just take it and we, we, we move on with our lives. And the question I wish that I received more was how, how did, how did you get here? I don't mind. I never mind pushback. 
I, I never mind people going, I think you're crazy. To show me how you got there. Or someone saying, I really, you know, I can see where you're, the way that you teach and the way you open up the Bible just makes me feel alive. How do I go and I do that? That's because to me, I think that that's ultimately what it's about. It's not, it's not about, I mean, that's what real discipleship is. It's not just taking the information in, but it's learning how I can, can do that in myself and then how I can even replicate it in others. And so that's the question that I think if I'm, if I would be longing for something and it's, it's unfortunately it's, it's something that it's been very few in my 20 plus years of leading trips and teaching in college and churches and everything. That's probably been the, the question that's been the least asked. Well, it's so important. And uh, so I can't thank you enough for coming on today, spending some time with us. And, uh, and I can't, you listeners out there, I can't recommend you enough to pick up Mark's book, Windows into the Bible, subscribe to his podcast, because this really is the journey of a lifetime. And you can begin to ask uh, yourself and even ask Mark Turnage, how, how can I do this stuff at home? How can I dive into increase my understanding of God through increasing my understanding of his word. So thank you, Mark Turnage. Thanks, Rusty. Appreciate it.